Welcome everyone. I'm Sue Barber, author, former IT director for a Fortune 500 company, turn executive coach, and this is the Visibility Factor podcast, where we explore how to raise your visibility and play bigger at work and in life. We'll explore key topics and welcome guests that help you shift your thinking about yourself so you can see new possibilities for your leadership. I'm on a mission to create a visibility movement for leaders to show their value and be seen for their true talent. Are you ready to take the next step towards a higher level of visibility for yourself? Let's go. The visibility factor is brought to you in part by the Choose Your Life Challenge. Do you feel like it's too late to do something new? You have a good life and your basic needs are met. You have a place to live, a job that provides enough and friends and family to share it with. But it's all passing by so quickly and it feels like you're running out of time to do the things you wanted to do. Join Danielle McCombs and Christy Allinger, co-hosts of the Opposite of Small Talk podcast in a 30-day interactive experience that helps you to live a more intentional life. Through a combination of live sessions, video coaching, and digital social interaction, you will be guided through a series of ideas to explore your mindset and gain confidence to live the life you want. Sign up today by visiting theoppositeofsmalltalk.com forward slash challenge. Use promo code CHALLENGE4 for a 20% discount. That's theoppositeofsmalltalk.com forward slash challenge and promo code CHALLENGE4. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Visibility Factor podcast. This is Sue Barber, your host. I am so excited today to have this conversation about boundaries with Krista Resnick. She and I have been trading emails and just getting really excited about this conversation. And so I am thrilled to talk to you, to meet you, and to let you share your wisdom with the audience. So thank you for being here, Krista. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Susan. Anytime I have an opportunity to speak about boundaries is a gift, and I never take it lightly. So I'm really, really honored to have the opportunity. Awesome. Well, I would love to have you introduce yourself to the audience and then we'll get into some great questions. Yeah, beautiful. So um, I am a master certified coach who specializes in something that I call the fawning pattern, which is basically the people-pleasing pattern. So many of you probably are familiar with the fight, flight, freeze response. And I like to play with the fourth F response, which is the fawning response, that response where, you know, something in our environment triggers or activates us. And we go kind of into that pattern of who do I need to be in order to make all of this go away and to make this like internal conflict stop. Do I need to subordinate? Do I need to walk on eggshells? Do I need to people please? Do I need to placate? Do I need to appease? Like, what is it that needs to happen in order to make this go away? So what I really focus on is is boundary work, um, which of course goes so beautifully in tandem with that fawning and people pleasing pattern. And so what I really do is the deep, deep work of, you know, because boundaries are taught typically so traditionally, which is beautiful. I'm not here to say that that's wrong. However, I read all of the books on boundaries. Um, I've had training. I've read the books on nonviolent communication, which I absolutely love and I do use in my practice and I do use in my life. But in those moments when something was happening in my external world 
and the temperature of my body increased and my face became flush and I had the lump in my throat, I still went into that fawning pattern. I knew how to do boundaries, but I didn't really know how to do boundaries, if that makes sense. So I work with women on a little bit deeper level using the nervous system, talking about childhood wounding. We do a lot of inner child work, a lot of reparenting, talking about attachment trauma, things of that nature so that we can stop putting, I like to say a Band-Aid on a bullet hole and actually like tend to that wound and clean it out so that we can move forward and have the businesses we want so that we can have the rich relationships that we want and really create everything that we crave. Oh, wow. So beautiful. Yeah, because if you don't address it, it's not going away, right? It's going to keep showing up in different ways throughout your life, right? Or your job. With Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I actually, Susan, to that point, went back to school to get the master's certification because I was noticing this in my clients. We would make progress. They would be so thrilled. They were setting boundaries. They were, you know, busting glass ceilings. And then all of a sudden the pattern would be back. And if I'm being totally honest, which I sort of pride myself on being honest, that's part of being an integrity for me. I noticed it in myself was like, okay, I'd make this progress. And then I felt like I was back at square one. I would see these patterns start to resurface. And that's because I wasn't really doing the deeper work that is required to clean out and care for those wounds. Went back, got the master's certification so that I could really hold and support clients in a deeper way. Well, there's so much that aligns between what I'm doing with visibility and what you're talking about with boundaries, because I have a whole chapter on imposter syndrome, of which boundaries and people-pleasing is a big, big piece of that. So I listened to one of your lives, and I want to quote back to you something that you said and have you share a little bit more about it. So, Leona, what did I say? (laughs) uh, No no pressure, right? Uh, So you said boundaries are the kindest and most helpful form of communication that you can offer to another person, which I thought was beautiful and something I've never heard in line with the word boundaries. So can you share a little bit more about that and how you see that working for people? Yeah, uh, such a great question. Thanks for doing your research, Susan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Boundaries are honest. They're honest. They're saying to someone here's who I am, here's what I have the capacity for, here's what I value, here's what I need. Can you meet me in that? Would you be able to meet me in that? We're really giving that, giving an opportunity to that person to understand and have a peek inside as to who we really are are. And we're giving them a chance to be successful with the real us, not the, I'm going to use the, use the analogy of not the masked up and not like, you know, what's going on in the world mask, <laughs> but the actual, like I've always referred to it even before the past two years as putting that mask on of people pleasing, putting that mask on of perfectionism, putting that mask on of, you know, whatever you want to call it, it's saying, this is the real me when the mask comes off. You know what? That actually doesn't work for me. Or when we take the mask off, it's like, 
you know what? I dropped a ball here and I'm so sorry because right now I don't have the capacity to do what you're asking me for. I thought I did. I just don't have the capacity for that. Can we still be in this relationship with with one another and can we be okay with that? To me, they really are the kindest thing that you can do because you are letting somebody see the real you, not this fake, um, I don't even want to say the word fake, this masked up coping strategy, coping pattern version of you. Yeah. And what what struck me when you said that is that I think a lot of people see boundaries as a negative, especially people pleasers, because they don't want to not be liked. Uh, They want to make sure that everybody sees them as kind and generous. And so they tend to say yes to whoever asked them for something, right? So many of my clients are feeling a bit overwhelmed in the world right now, everything that's happening energetically, but also just in their jobs, there's less people to do more work as always. What would you tell to them in order to use boundaries in a better way for them to help maybe relieve some of that overwhelm? You know, Again, because I'm always going back and looking at the deeper work, I think the number one place, Susan, well, there's a couple of places we could actually start. The first is quite simple, and you kind of already touched on this. What are you believing to be true about boundaries? Because if you actually believe boundaries are selfish, boundaries are wrong, they're cruel, they're unkind, they're harsh— it's going to be a little extra work to kind of bring in some of those new beliefs. It's going to be hard to set a boundary when you actually in your subconscious mind believe that boundaries are wrong, selfish, sinful, cruel, harsh, mean, whatever, right? So there's where we want to start going back a little bit into childhood and start looking at, and this is a longer answer than you're probably looking for, but for me, I always want to go back into childhood and start to help a client understand where that pattern was created out of or where that pattern was created from. Because so often there can be so much shame and criticism around, why can't I just set that boundary? What am I doing wrong? Why am I so X, Y, Z? And And that's not helpful to shame, criticize, and judge ourselves. If that would have worked, it would have worked by now because most of us are really, really good at that. Mm -hmm. So once we can go back and understand, oh, wow, wow, when I was at, and this this is a personal story that I use all the time in my teachings, when I was at that stranger's house that was supposed to, you know, babysit me for the day, My mom was going to a workshop and this stranger was going to watch all of us little girls that whose mothers were at this workshop. I was so excited because I was a friendly little girl and I liked people and I thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to be able to make friends. I'm going to have new friends. And they weren't as excited to meet me and play with me as I was them. And so my mom went off to this workshop and they bullied me. They criticized me. They picked on me all day. And I remember sitting at that kitchen table feeling so lonely and so not enough and so not chosen and so worthless. Out of that, Susan, came my deep desire to be liked, to do anything it would take 
to just please people, to just be chosen, to just understand that I fit in and I belonged and to have someone see my value and my worth. So I would, I would abandon myself in order to have them accept me. And so when we can kind of go back and start to understand some of that, it's like, whoa, now we can bring in that beautiful self-compassion and, and really understand I'm not doing this because I'm, there's something wrong with me and I'm broken. I'm, I've been doing it all these decades, all these years to stay safe. It's a game changer for mm-hmm. most people. So that's a little bit more of the deeper right. work that I would really encourage some of your clients to take a peek at is where did some of these patterns get started? Because when we can start to piece those things together, it, it just lightens the load a little bit. The other part is, is that, again, we have to really understand what we're believing to be true around boundaries. And we really have to understand what are requirements versus I think what are requests, right? Like, so I think, and and that's always a profound moment for people in terms of what is someone just simply requesting of me or what are they requiring of me? Are they actually requiring? Are they actually requiring that I stay up till midnight and answer emails, right? Or is this just something that I'm expecting (laughs) from myself? Because I'm trying to be that person. Mm -hmm. A lot of times perfectionism will go hand in hand with people pleasing, right? It's like, because underneath it, Susan, the belief is I don't want to look like a burden. I don't have any needs. So if I just have all of my T's crossed, all of my I's dotted, nobody will see that I have any needs. They'll just say, she's the hard worker. She's the one that's got it all. She's the one that, oh, wow, she is spinning so many plates. Good for her. I mean, Society and culture love that, right? And so often you'll see those two Mm -hmm. patterns, perfectionism and people-pleasing, go hand in hand. And so with the perfectionism, again, underneath that is often the belief, what I find, I don't actually want to be a burden. So that's the person that, you know, often they'll be up till, and, and and I've had clients that, you know, they're up at two in the morning answering emails and working late and working on weekends and not necessarily because it's actually something that someone is requesting of them, but it's something that they're, again, it goes back to that pattern. It's something that they're requiring of themselves because they don't want anybody to see them as less than perfect or having any needs or being the weak one on the team. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that resonates so much with me. It's definitely my story for sure. Uh, And not wanting to be a burden, right? Not wanting to ask someone to do more or, you know, take on more work or even, you know, when it came to, you know, remodeling my house, if I didn't like the color on the walls, I didn't want them to have to repaint it. So I would be like, oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Even though I'm like, "Mm, I'm not sure I love that. And thank God I had a contractor who understood that I needed him to be able to do it again if I needed him to do it. And I can't even imagine how I would have remodeled without him because some of those things were just hard for me to be able to say. So I love that you brought that up. And that kind of goes along with what you were asking me earlier about the boundaries, you know, being so kind. I'm a really big advocate of the Brene Brown quote, and she uses it in leadership. Clear is kind. I am very, typically very clear. I am very direct in my communication because I really believe that that is how 
we teach people how to be successful with us. Or another way to say that is how they can be, we teach people how to treat us. And we've got to learn how to be clear and direct with our communication, with our needs, with what we want and desire, with what our values are, or people don't know. It's like they're getting this this, um, patterned version of us that it's not really us. So to me, it's just best to be clear, to be direct, and I see that as kindness because in essence, what I'm saying is this is the real me. This is who I really am. And if you want to have rich relationship with me, this is who I am. So, you know, you're not going to see anything different. Like, this is what I stand for. This is what I believe. This is what I need. And if if you're in on that, great. Let's go. Let's create an amazing relationship. Yeah. Because the, the sad part about that is how much energy you are spending being someone else or hiding behind a mask or trying to be what everyone else wants you to be. And then you get home and you're exhausted and you just have no idea that, at least for me, I had no idea I was even doing that. Honestly, it didn't even occur to me that that was happening until later. And I realized, no wonder you're exhausted when you get home, right? You're trying to be this person. And honestly, as I look back now, they were not asking me to be that person. I was creating that story. But it was really easy for me to fall into what others were doing and expect those things of myself. So you also talked about expectations that we may place on other people. And when they don't meet those expectations, we get frustrated. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what causes that? Why do we feel like we have to put those expectations on others? Often that goes into the conversation a little bit around codependency, which I know can always, I, I don't love, I don't love labels. And I'm, I, I say, I'm, I always say I'm going to coin myself the art of the and coach because I'm constantly saying XYZ and XYZ and because I often believe that two things can be true. So in my own journey, <laughs> And in my own growth, I, I guess I would maybe call myself someone who had codependency or had codependent thought patterns. And <laughs> I don't often love labels because people will wear that label on their forehead like, well, I'm codependent. It's just who I am. I'm a people pleaser. Okay. It's just who I am. And that's not, not what I'm saying. However, The label of codependency, once I started to go, whoa, I think I've got some codependent tendencies here, then I was able to ask myself, where do I need to go to resource myself for help? How do I actually begin to heal this pattern? So I like to play with, I don't love labels, and they can be really helpful in your healing, you know, journey. Um, So Mm -hmm. this kind of ties in a little bit with, with codependency and what I often see with a lot of codependent people pleaser type uh, patterning is that we have got so many expectations because we are filtering the world through how we see it, through our lens of the world. So I often, I like to bring a little levity into my work because sometimes this work can be heavy. And so I always think it's fun to just yeah. laugh a little bit, right? Make it a little lighter. So I always like to say, if, if neighbor Sally had a baby, you know, here I am bringing 35 casseroles over 
to Sally's doorstep, right? And every casserole's got the right bread, the right side dish, the right dessert. Obviously, I'm being a little extreme here, right? <laughs> Just to prove a point. And so then yeah. when the role, because that's how we filter the world, right? Like, oh my gosh, when, when somebody goes into the hospital, like this is just what you do to make that person feel loved and cared for and appreciated and whatever. And often too, you know, as people pleasers and codependent type folks, uh, you can have some of those extreme sort of untrue thinking patterns or almost like fantasy type ideas that, and I really, I mean, you know, I, I would, in my own journey, I would take somebody a casserole when they had a baby and not know what I was going to feed my own family that night. And it's like walking over, you know, kids that are having tantrums on the floor and it's like, well, I don't know what we're eating, probably SpaghettiOs, but you know, at least they're going to eat good tonight. But anyway, so when the role then is flipped, Again, we're often filtering the world through, well, I took Sally 35 casseroles. That's just what you do when somebody goes into the hospital. That's just na- that, that's just normal. It's just natural because that's how we're filtering and viewing things with that lens. So when we're in the hospital or something happens and people are not running in droves to deliver their 35 casseroles... <laughs> We're like, what is even happening? How could they? How dare they? And we're so disappointed. So oftentimes you will see that codependent, people-pleasing patterning. Us folks will often have a lot of disappointments in our life. So I always like to tell people, where are you disappointed in life? And And then once we start to kind of piece that together. It's like, whoa, I have got so many expectations because of how I'm filtering the world, because of how I'm viewing things that I'm just projecting onto other people. And we don't know what Sally's got going on, right? She might not have the capacity to bring us 35 casseroles. She's got her own wounding and traumas that she's perhaps dealing with, or maybe she just doesn't want to. You know, maybe Sally is somebody who has done the work and is practicing really good boundaries. But we see that as, oh my gosh, it's so disappointing because it's how we're filtering and viewing the world. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's almost like we take it all personally. Yes. Right. It has something to do with us specifically, right? Where, you know, to your point, she may have, you know, a lot of things going on that we have no idea are happening in that situation, right? Yeah. That's a great example. I love Example, I think it's so true. People operate in this world of shoulds. Yep. I should do this. I should do that. Uh, what you also talk about something else that I want to dive into a little bit here. You talk about internal and external boundaries. Mm. Can you talk about the difference between those two and how you discovered that's new? I've never heard internal versus external boundaries. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I actually get asked that question a lot. People will say, can you set boundaries with yourself? Absolutely. So we often think of boundaries as external, those boundaries that we set with other people. But I'm here to say that internal boundaries, boundaries that you set with self are equally, Susan, if not more important than external boundaries. And that can look like, I mean, we could be here all day listing out the different kinds of boundaries, but even just thinking about, okay, what's your boundary around your bedtime? Are you getting enough sleep? 
so that you can get up in the morning and do whatever sets you up for success, whether it's reading some some scripture or um, meditating on something or exercising or, you know, whatever it is that you know sets you up for success, are you setting a boundary around that? Are you setting boundaries around your nighttime routine so that you can be nourished and get a great night's sleep? Are you putting boundaries around what kind of food you're putting into your body? Are you putting boundaries around that internal critic that wants to just shame you and poke at you and judge you? Are you putting boundaries around one of the things I'm personally working on this year very much internally, and sometimes I fail at it miserably, (laughs) but I am really creating boundaries around my listening skills really wanting to go deeper in my listening. So I'm having to create boundaries around wanting to interject, wanting to just kind of blob on people when it's like, oh, 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 I've had that experience too. Oh, let me tell you about my experience, right? So it's just something I'm so passionate about is listening. And yet, because of some of my own conditioning, some of my patterns can get in the way. So I'm having to create some of those internal boundaries creating boundaries around workout routines. You know, if you say you're going to work out at seven o'clock in the morning, are you actually getting on the Peloton bike at 7 a.m.? Are you honoring yourself or are you abandoning yourself? So many different internal boundaries we can set, but I think they're extraordinarily important because if you're not honoring those boundaries you set with you, you are abandoning yourself. Wow, that's really powerful. And and so true because I think we, if you're a people pleaser or if you're someone who struggles with boundaries, you see it as a kindness that you're putting other people first. And abandoning yep. yourself is a, is a really good way for people to start to see that's not a good thing for you. It's not serving you. It's yeah. actually only serving them and putting yourself and your value in the background, right? And pushing all of that in the background. So, oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. One of my favorite books, Susan, and, and I always get such a charge out of sending this book to people because at first when they open it, so I'll send it as a client gift or I'll just send it at random people, whatever. And they're like, why did you give me this book? And then usually <laughs> when they open it, I'll write a little something on the front. And they'll be like, okay, now I understand why she sent this book. But one of my favorite books is The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. So you can imagine getting oh. this book in the mail and you're like, why did she send me this? My goodness. Yes. But not that we want to be sitting there thinking about our deathbed all day. And, right, there's the art of the and again. And we need to start thinking about our deathbeds and about our legacy and about how we're living and just those small daily habits and behaviors and choices that actually matter. And the top regret of the dying is actually, did I live a life true to me? I wish I wouldn't have lived a life worried about other people's feelings, worried worried about other people's, what are they going to think of me? Top regret of the dying right there. And I don't want to go down like that. (laughs) I don't want to be on my deathbed thinking, coulda, shoulda, woulda, but I was so concerned with what Bob down the street thought of me because I, I wanted so bad to be visible with my message. I wanted so bad to do that Facebook Live. I wanted so bad to speak at wherever, but I was so worried about what Lisa 
was going to say, what she was going to think. I don't want to go down like that. <laughs> so to me, at some point, you've got to get serious about that. So important. Yes, I have that book. Uh, I actually have the audio version. And uh, it's very interesting when you think about it from that perspective, because it does come down to yeah. how are you living each day? It's not about waiting until yeah. you're 70 and starting to do something about it. It, you know, you never know how much yeah. time you have. So every day is important. You don't. So that is a great example. So can you share some examples in your clients or even in your own experience where you've seen boundaries make a huge impact for you or them? Oh, wow. That is such a good question. Um, let me just think here. I've got lots of examples. Yes. I would say all boundary work, obviously, really happens within relationship, right? Like all of these things are so fun to talk about and think about. And the work really happens inside relationship. You know, when we leave these four walls and we get out into the world and our partners trigger us, our bosses trigger us, our colleagues trigger us, it's always about relationship. So, you know, often um, for me personally, just real quick, one of my patterns, not setting boundaries, I, I was someone because of that strong people-pleasing pattern, um, I would often get resentful, but I wasn't cognizant of it. I wasn't aware of it. I lived so much of my life in autopilot. But looking back, I know that I had this resentment brewing. And then how it would kind of show up is I would avoid people. So if I would see their text pop up, if I would see their Voxer pop up, or they tried to call me, I'd kind of have that Ugh, type attitude, like, what do they want? And just sort of avoid them. That was how I knew, oh, red flag. There was a boundary that needed to be set about a year ago around that conversation. There was a boundary that needed to be set two weeks ago. But Krista, you weren't willing to, to step into conflict. You weren't willing to have the conversation. So that's a little bit how it showed up for me. That is also how it shows up for my clients. I have one in particular I'm thinking of right now. Um, she's in the helping profession as well. And she was just, again, because of home life was so chaotic, she learned at an early age, she was really good at meeting other people's needs. Always the one from the time she was little, Susan, she was meeting other people's needs and supporting people because home was so chaotic that that was kind of how she got value. That's how she felt safe was supporting other people and meeting their needs. So of course, now she's an adult, now she's married, now she's got a child and she's exhausted. She's overwhelmed. She's resentful. And so slowly we are starting to work on setting boundaries with mother-in-law, setting boundaries with friends. You know what? I love you and I don't have the capacity to hold that for you. That is something that you need to step into therapy and, and, and get some help and support around that. Um, I have another client who has a dream of living somewhere other than where she's currently living. Uh, her and her partner hate hate where they are living. And so we had to create that boundary. 
Well, and it wouldn't, I guess it would be a boundary, but we had to start working on her nervous system to be able to really stand, withstand, I should say, the conflict of having the conversation with extended family members saying, we're not happy here and we'd like to move. Mm -hmm. And we know that we're not going to be in close proximity anymore. And we know what that means because for the past few years, we've been in the same town and we've had some lovely dinners and lovely exchanges. And now we want to be somewhere else. And we feel a little sad about that. And we know that you're going to be sad and we know that you're going to be disappointed. So it was kind of creating a boundary, if you want to bring this into boundaries, kind of creating a boundary around that part of her that sounded something like, you can't ask for what you need. And this was literally how it sounded. You cannot ask for what you need. You can't possibly take your child away from his grandmother and go live elsewhere. How mean is that? How selfish is that? So we had to do some of the inner deeper work, set the boundaries around that. And in tandem, we also had to start to be comfortable. That might be too strong of a word. I don't know if I'd say she's comfortable yet, but she's working on it. She's getting there and and she's making huge strides. I'm so proud of her, Mm -hmm. but sitting in the discomfort. Because so often women come to me, Susan, and they want to set boundaries, but they want to do it in a way where they're not upsetting anybody, where they're not hurting anybody's feelings. And I'm here to say most of the time, it's not possible. You will upset someone's feelings. Someone will get mad at you. Someone will not like your boundaries. Someone will think your boundary is the stupidest thing they've ever heard in their life. And they're going to push back. The bottom line is, can you stay with yourself and remain true to you? knowing that somebody doesn't like your boundary, knowing that somebody doesn't like you, knowing that someone's upset with you. I've had um, entrepreneurs that are running very successful practices and businesses who have employees coming in every single five minutes. Oh, can you just check on this? Oh, can we just get support around this? Oh, what do you think about this? So we've had to really talk about some of those boundaries We've also had to have some of the deeper conversations around why do you think they're coming to you every five minutes? Because you've micromanaged them. Because you want everything to look perfect. You want, as the, as the leader, you want all the T's to be crossed and all the I's to be dotted rather than just let them do it in their way. That's what you hired them for, right? And know that it's not going to maybe be the way that you did it. It's maybe not going to be perfect, but you've created this conditioning because of your own wounding, having to look perfect, that they feel as if they have to come to you literally every five minutes, sticking their nose in. And so you're not getting your work done. We've also created boundaries around um, many of the entrepreneurs I've worked with, if not probably all of them. Um, It's like they're still operating around when they first, how do I say this? Um, They've grown with the business. Many of the entrepreneurs that that I've worked with have worked with me for quite a few years. Um, And so it's so fun to see them go from maybe, you know, somebody that was answering phones and being at the front desk to all of a sudden, literally now they own the company or they've, you know, gone in the elevator and they're like two or three floors up, so to speak, right? But they're still operating like they're on ground zero. They're still operating like they should be micromanaging 
and answering phones and doing the emails and doing all these things. Well, you can't do both. You can't run and manage a company and still be acting like and showing up doing all the things you were doing five years ago. It doesn't work. So we've had to create boundaries around those internal, again, here we go back. And this is why I say boundaries are so much about internal work. We've had to go back and create those boundaries around those internal parts that want to, again, be micromanaging, that want to be looking as if things are perfect, that want to be having all the T's crossed and the I's dotted. And then we wonder why we're showing up exhausted and burned out. Yes, I can see that happening for so many people and they don't realize it until, you know, like someone like you or I is having the conversation with them and saying, you know, there's another way. I don't know if you know this, but there's a better way for you to not be exhausted. So I love this conversation. Uh, I want to transition a bit into what I call the rise up and be visible quick tips and ask you some questions around visibility, because I know there's some definite crossover between boundaries and visibility. And if you don't feel safe enough to be visible, you won't. So let's start with the first one. Visibility is? Mm, Visibility is the key to your success, really. I mean, I don't know how much you want me to elaborate, but if if people don't know about you, they can't hire you. (laughs) So it really is like the foundation to, if we're talking business, it's the foundation to your business. I I just believe that everybody, even if you don't have a business, I believe everybody has a message. Everybody has something to offer. Everybody has a gift to share. And you've got to really be visible in whatever that is. If you're the best brownie baker on the block and you have all the little kiddos get off the bus in your little cul-de-sac every Wednesday at 3.30, and you've got that little boy who never for one moment felt safe in his own four walls, but he feels safe in your four walls, what a gift. Like, you were willing to do the thing. You were willing to let yourself be visible to do the thing and to lean into your gifting. Do you have advice or a tip that you could share with the listeners on what you have done to be visible? (laughs) Do I ever? I actually just (laughs) had this conversation with a friend of mine. She just said to me two days ago, Krista, I remember your first Facebook Live. I remember where I was. I, I totally remember it. She said, you were so nervous. I said, I know. So I had a coach that was a little bit of a bulldog at the time, and she challenged me to do five Facebook Lives in a row every day, same time, and to share a message. I wanted to lay down in traffic and allow (laughs) somebody to just run me over. Like I would have laid down naked in traffic (laughs) versus do the Facebook Lives. Like it was, I, I thought I can't do this. I can't do this, but here's the thing. I did it. I did it and I haven't stopped. I kept pushing play. So my advice, the reason why I share that story, again, so many people, they want to set boundaries. They want to be visible, but they want it to be easy. And they want it to be just this, like, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And I don't want to upset the apple cart. And I'm here to say, there's a really good chance you will. There's a really good chance when you hit live and you are, are, for the first time, you're going to be visible, you are going to sweat. Someone 
it's going to feel probably like someone took your, you know, the the uh, dial on your body temperature and it's a thousand degrees. You might have red cheeks. Your ears might get hot. You literally might be shaking and sweating. But you've got to remind yourself in that moment, I am safe. I am safe. So even if it's a matter of really like grounding your feet into the floor, even if it's a matter of just pressing each finger into your thumb so that you can come back into the body, reminding yourself, I am in the here and now, I am safe. And what will happen as a result, you'll get off that first, let's just say it's Facebook Live or whatever it is, TED Talk stage, whatever. And you're gonna realize that you didn't die. You're gonna set that boundary and your knees are gonna be knocking and you're gonna realize, hey, I didn't die. And I'm actually really proud of myself. Mm -hmm. And... Yes, the inner critic may come up and say, oh, you said this wrong, you forgot this whole part and whatever. But there again, we get to set boundaries around that. And we get to remember, one of my favorite acronyms is IRA. So it's intentional action. We wanna be, you know, people that take action with intention, not like throw spaghetti at the wall and let's just hope this turns out, right? We we wanna be intentional with what action we're choosing to take. The R is reflect. So what went well? What didn't go so well? Oh, you know what? I forgot that whole part. Maybe next time I'll write out some bullet notes or maybe next time I'll put sticky notes or something all over my computer, something, right? And then the A is adjust. We take that feedback that we got in letter R, the reflection piece, and we adjust and we keep going. We just keep going. And what we're doing is we're proving to ourselves We're proving to our nervous system that we're not going to die in those moments that we feel like we're so unsafe. We're actually giving ourselves evidence that we can do really hard things. Yes. Yeah, my first Facebook Live I did in my own private Facebook group that no one was in. (laughs) So that I, I could figure out, it was more like to understand technically what I needed to do to make it work, less about the actual talking part. But I thought, well, if you can do it there, you should be fine. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Oh man, I I still, I, I really remember that feeling. It was horrible. I thought I was going to die. It was, I mean, I think they say that, I don't know how they actually got their research for this, the stats for this, but they say that people are more afraid of public speaking than of death. Yes, it's, I've heard that many times for sure. Yeah. So what is one piece of leadership or career advice that you've received that's helped you the most? Mm, I got to talk about self-leadership. <laughs> you cannot lead others until you're willing to lead yourself. And so it's really for me about cleaning out those patterns that are holding you back from truly stepping into your own leadership, standing at the helm of your own leadership, embodying, you know, it's books are great. I love books. I love to read a little every single morning while I sip on my coffee. And there's, to me, there's a point where you have to start putting some of the books down and really like integrate and embody the work so that you can lead from that place of authenticity. So you can lead from that place of really being connected to your values, 
really being connected to your vision, to the things that actually matter to you. Because if you're not doing the work and you've got, you know, some of the people-pleasing, codependency type stuff going on, the first negative comment you get, you get, whether it's, you know, your podcast, your Facebook Live, your Instagram, real, whatever, you're again going to want to wither away and say, see, that's just evidence that I'm not supposed to be doing this work. So you've really got to build the internal strength and confidence. And that comes through shedding these patterns, going back to your birthright and understanding I was brought into this world with creativity, with confidence, with um, clarity, with wisdom with all of these things. And it was all these patterns, all of these limiting beliefs, all of these misunderstandings that I've bought into that are covering up my true potential. So it's sort of this uncovering of all of these layers of years and decades of stuff so that we can really get back to the core essence of who we are and loving that person in the mirror that's looking back at us. It's not about being perfect. There's no such thing. I don't believe in perfection. Mm -hmm. But it's really about looking in the mirror and loving that person that we see looking back at us Mm -hmm. and knowing and trusting that he or she has got something good to offer and that he or she is worthy of standing at the helm of their own leadership. He or she is worthy of doing this work so that they can lead other people. Yeah. Yeah, you can't be a good leader if you're not willing to lead yourself, for sure. I just don't think so. I don't think it's possible. Mm-mm. And I've seen plenty who have not. So <laughs> I yeah. can attest to that. Okay, yeah, last. I really think if you're not doing the work, you're you're truly at some level in one of your patterns, whatever that pattern is. Um, and, and you just, you don't, it, typically then you're going to lead from fear and control. Mm-hmm. And that's is, that's never... <laughs> Never a good combination. Mm -mm. No, no. no. Okay, last question. What is a book that you've read recently that you love and would recommend to the listeners? (gasps) Well, I haven't read a book all summer. Oh, wow. Deliberately. Deliberately. I'm like, I did. I took the summer off and I just wanted to be present and to just experience my five senses taking in the world. However... (laughs) It is fall now as we're recording this. And I have picked up the book Fierce Self-Compassion by Dr. Kristen Neff. It is absolutely fantastic. I am such a believer in self-compassion. I think probably most of us can can attest to that internal critic, you know, Mm -hmm. the self-judgment, the self-beat, the self- Um, berating, all of that. And when we can really start bringing in that compassion piece, understanding why we have some of these patterns, understanding how they've protected us, understanding how they've kept us safe, we can start to really create space. We We can be tender and we can be gentle with ourselves and really lead from that place versus the other place, which is oftentimes just that fear and control. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm jamming on right now. And it's such an amazing book. I have read her original self-compassion book and it was absolutely fantastic. And this fierce self-compassion is just equally as wonderful. Wow. 
Okay, excellent. Well, I have not read that one, so I'm going to add it to my list. Thank you so much for being here. I feel like I have learned a ton from you, and I hope everybody listening has been able to pick up some nuggets for themselves about how you can set stronger boundaries for yourself, how important and valuable you are, and really starting to do that in a bigger way. Because I do believe it is so important to be able to just be yourself, be authentic, show up in the world the way that you want to. So thank you for that, Krista. I think you just bring such great stories and examples that make it easy to understand as well. Thank you. Thank you. I so appreciate having the opportunity again to speak about something that I'm I'm just so crazy about. So I, I'm are. so grateful. <laughs> of course. So how can people reach out to you if they want to connect with you? You know, I think the easiest way is my website, www.kristaresnick.com. It's pretty simple. Excellent. Well, I'll put it in the show notes and make sure that they know how to get a hold of you. And just thanks a lot for being here. And uh, thanks everybody for joining today on the Visibility Factor podcast. We'll catch you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening to the Visibility Factor podcast. Remember that visibility starts with small steps that are intentional and consistent each day. Be bold, be visible, be the leader you were meant to be. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Follow us on all of our social media platforms, which are highlighted in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Visibility Factor Podcast.